Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, we got a lot to talk about tonight. Um, just jam-packed. Do we? <laughs> <laughs> a, a couple things. Um, for, first of all, uh, for any of you who joined us on YouTube last week for the uh, NFL Draft first round uh, live stream, thank you for doing that. Um, unfortunately, it was not able to be posted to our feed here, so if you want to go back and uh, listen through all the craziness, uh, head over to the Winning Cures Everything YouTube page. Uh, that should all be there. But uh, that was that was a good time. Yeah, we, we very, very good. We time. certainly had some fun. It was. Yeah, it, it was. I we promised well lubricated and well lubricated is what you got. So it was it was it, it is always fun. We love doing that with those guys. Um, what's crazy is that feels like um, it happened a million years ago. I know. It's just insane. Um, so yeah, we got, we got the NFL draft to talk about. And then, and then hold on, you got to like anybody who came out on Saturday, I wasn't there. It was, yeah. Everyone who came out right to the softball game. I mean, this is, this is the thing we're trying to figure out. It's, it's so crazy that it's late spring and we had a long discussion before this pod started on what order we were going to go through everything. There's no right choice. There's no right way to do the order of everything we've got to cover here. Because, right, we've got multiple championships. you got this game that a lot of you, a series, softball series, where Northwestern clinched the title. Odd you were at. Sam and I were at. Um, and then lacrosse. They're going to be starting postseason play within hours of when some of you are listening to this podcast. And I know a lot of you have tuned in for other reasons than all of those, which is crazy. So, so much to, so much to get through. Um, I, I think we should start with, uh, with, with softball. Cause that, like you said, John is the game that we were at, um, you know, bo- both of us, uh, John, your wife, your daughter, my daughter was there. Uh, a bunch of other people stopped by. Cat, always great to see Cat. Um, and what, I mean, what a game. You know, just, you know, the Cats came back, beat Nebraska, cardiac fashion, um, which is, is kind of what they do. I mean, down four runs in the bottom of the seventh inning, tie it up, take it to extras, and then a walk-off home run that literally came within feet of knocking your daughter in the head. <laughs> that I, We tweeted that. That's not hyperbole. It was, it, that was a surreal moment. So we should say, first of all, right, like you were saying, that amazing rally. I think one of the awesome things about that rally was that it was a youth-driven rally, right? I mean, I mean, it wasn't... Nothing that this team touches is not touched by the super seniors and that unbelievable group of upperclassmen that are the core of this team. But it was awesome. The game that we were at, players who are going to be logging many more years with this program stepped up. And the first was Los Gaborski. Um, Lauren hit that monster. It was either double or triple. But it was bases, double, yeah. Bases loaded, cleared the bases, tied the game. And then in the... What I was, I guess, it was was the bottom of the ninth. Bottom of the ninth. Bottom yeah. of the ninth. 
I think Nader got on base, I want to say. Um, and then Kansas Robinson came up. And just as Sam said, I mean, it was surreal. She hit a game-winning home run that off the bat was just headed at us the entire way. And probably when it was halfway out, I was like, I think I'm going to catch this ball. No, no, no. It's drifting to the right. And then I look over at my eight-year-old daughter who's sitting where I think right in the path of the ball. Just la-di-da, staring down (laughs) at like a phone, like no idea. And I'm like, you are about to get tagged with a baseball. And it ended up going about five feet to the right. You can watch the video uh, on it online. You'll see right where we were. There, There's a spot where two sets of bleachers kind of join, and there's a gap between the two spots, and the ball went right through there and bounced off the pavement and just kept on going, and a ton of kids went tearing after that ball. I mean, it, yeah, was, it was it was, it was, was like going up, and it's like, oh, I think I can make a move on that. And then it, it, it was coming down. It was coming down fast. It's like, oh boy, I'm not, I'm not touching that. I would like break your hand if you tried to catch that thing barehanded. Yeah, and that's where I was looking. I was like, is my daughter gonna be okay? And then yeah, the ball just went whistling past us. I mean, Kansas crushed that ball. But it was the larger point being, what a game to be at. It was yeah, it was incredible, and what a game, what a series, right? Because I mean, as amazing as that game was. The game the next day was right there with it, well, maybe but, but, even a oh, yeah. topper. But, but before you hit that, I mean, let's not forget the opener of the series. The Cats put sure. 22 across on Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, they absolutely shredded Nebraska in the first game. And then these two epic games that are like we, the kind of games we associate with this team, right? The fact that like you cannot put this team away. Like, they will come back. If you give them an inch, they don't care if they're down five runs, six runs. They don't care if they're down, like, three runs entering the bottom of the seventh as they were in the game that we went to. They'll just scrap and claw. Like, it's the DNA of the team is just champion DNA. And, you know, and that's the thing. They were rewarded the day after. That's the only thing is is Indiana was playing a doubleheader the same day as the game we were at. If Indiana would have lost either of those games... Um, Northwestern would have won the Big Ten that day. And if Indiana would have lost the first game, Northwestern would have won the Big Ten the moment Kansas Robinson connected with that ball. But no need for us to be greedy. We got plenty out of that. Well, Um, well, I I think it's important to just call out, like, so we didn't talk about the Michigan series the prior weekend because uh, last week was our draft pod. Um, It was the first time that Northwestern won a series at Michigan. Um the third game Ever. on Sunday, yeah. yeah, the third game on Sunday was a three nothing shutout. Just a masterful performance by Northwestern. The first game was an eleven inning win for the Cats, ended four three. Where I just I had this sense after you know we were we were all following this you know white knuckling it through through this game. Um, you had multiple defenders making highlight reel plays. You had um, an incredible um, Z-Deck to home plate out to to preserve the tie. You had clutch hitting to like, they took the lead and then Michigan tied it. And then they took the lead again to win this game. And I like, I'm, I'm going pretty far back in time here to, to April 21st, but the reason like that game. And then these two games against Nebraska this past weekend on Saturday, Sunday, 
it's not just that you can't put this team away. It's that in every facet of the game, fielding, hitting, pitching, base running, whatever, this team just leaves it all out on the field. Their grit, their tenacity, their perseverance, again, in every facet of the game is just on display weekend after weekend after weekend. And it is a beautiful thing to behold. And they are so deserving, not just as Big Ten champs, but as repeat Big Ten champs, just like these super seniors drew it up. It's freaking fantastic. It is. It's incredible. And again, they hadn't, they hadn't, it, I think what, 86, 87 was the last time they went back to back in the conference, um, won back to back titles. And as of right now, I mean, they clinched a share of it. They have to beat Rutgers one time out of three to have it all to themselves. Um, and, you know, one of the things, again, these super seniors, their decision to come back, which is looking like one of the wisest, greatest decisions that they'll all remember for the rest of their lives, um, which is just phenomenal. But it also had this effect of not only did it produce another championship, not only did it do all these things, but it it strung the pedigree in such a way that this group leaves this legacy. They add another title and it provides this rolling start for some of these younger players. And right now, Kansas Robinson is the one who's just jumping off the page. Three quarters of the way into this season, she went into the stratosphere. She's been one of the best players in like the conference, certainly. One of probably the three best players in the conference over the past couple of weeks. That Michigan series, right? She had, I think, a game-winning hit. Or it was a game-winning hit. Game-winning hit in one of those games a massive home run in another, and then a game-winning home run in the Nebraska series, <clears throat> and then that unbelievable play in the bottom of the fifth where she was uh, of the final of the game on Sunday, <clears throat> where in pouring rain and the slop, she went sliding into home and was safe at home uh, for the play that at the time tied the game that Northwestern eventually won <clears throat> because they went into a rain delay right after that. So... You have players like that, and you have, like again, Skoborski, Nader, like, uh, players stepping up. And you really have that feeling like, yes, this group was so special, but there's also this feeling like this unbelievable class is going to graduate, and then there is this next generation who's going to step up. Yeah, um, very, very exciting. And, you know, as you say, we got Rutgers this weekend and then uh, the Big Ten tournament uh, coming up in uh, in Champaign. Uh, so that's May 10th through the 13th is the Big Ten tournament. And then, you know, coming back the next week for uh, regionals, which you would imagine regionals for sure would be in Evanston. Uh, and then super regionals, we would have to wait and see, I guess. But, uh, you know, we're we're getting into the postseason here for softball, and it's very very exciting. Um, also, winning a Big Ten championship uh, this past weekend was lacrosse. Uh, I'm, just, I'm I'm sorry, excuse me. The number one rated uh, Northwestern lacrosse team uh, takes home the Big Ten regular season championship, and uh, John, as as you mentioned, uh, will be taking on Michigan uh, the afternoon of Thursday. Which you know, if you're listening to this right now or right away is about to start otherwise you you know it's you know what's happened um but yeah just hitting on all cylinders 
you know, taking care of Maryland uh, to lock up the regular season championship, take that number one uh, position in the country back uh, from Boston College. No, excuse me, from Syracuse. Um, just what a season these ladies have had. They have been on a mission all year. And I like this Maryland game was so indicative to me of, of what we've seen from them multiple times this season. So it was tied for four, four at halftime. And then Northwestern came out in the second half and just suffocated their opposition. Um, Maryland had two goals in the second half. They barely had any possession. They barely had any shots. Like we've seen Northwestern go into, you know, I think, I want to say the Michigan game was relatively tight at, at halftime. I know the North Carolina game was very tight. Um, Stony Brook was close. Uh, there have been a couple others along the way. But in that in the second half, Northwestern just goes to another level, and it's on both ends of the of the field. And they, like, these games have not felt close. Beating Maryland, the perennial rival, beating number one North Carolina, beating Michigan, beating number four Stony Brook, I mean, yeah, if, you know, many of these games are, are four or five points in the end, but they like the Maryland game, it just didn't didn't feel close by the time you got to the last 15 minutes. Like Haley Gradigan was just eviscerating Maryland. Um, and it just it just th- th- this team is is a it's, they're a literal freight train. Um, I know we did. We make a lot of skein train comment comments. Uh, we, we've coined the conductor for Quickendall like that, like. But the, the train imagery is spot on in the way they just dominate their opposition, particularly in the second half. And um, this is, you know, this has been the objective all along with with Izzy Skane coming back this season. They, they knew that they had what it took to get back to the title game. Um, obviously, the work is not done. They've got the Big Ten tournament. They've got the, the NCAAs, but um, they are they're on a mission and. You know, I, I, John, you've pointed this out before, but like Haley Radigan didn't play the first, what, four games of the season? Correct. Um, which include the one goal loss to Syracuse, the one goal win over Boston College, and that kind of weird game against Notre Dame that ended a lot closer than it felt. Um, this team's at a different level with her, Koykendall, Skane, all just blasting away. Um, it's like... It's, it's, it's going to be wild. very difficult to beat them. <laughs> it, it's crazy, too. I mean, after the Maryland game, because like you were saying, in the second half of that game, they just annihilated Maryland. I mean, it was it was They're, ridiculous. Now, now, And Maryland's going to probably get another shot this coming right. Saturday. So, they, you know, we'll, right, we'll see what abs- that looks like. But, right. But yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. So, like, but what's, what's wild to me is <clears throat> the – the the amount of talent i mean like we were talking about after the maryland game being like this team is kind of like if you like if you're imagining well like what if like we were like what if our football team was georgia and what would yeah. that be like <laughs> like what would that feel like this it this. would feel like this this team has eight first and second team all big 10 players what's crazy is you can look at the players who are on this team who were playing last year, right? Of course, the conductor right off the top, like Aaron Koykendall. She was a unanimous 
first team selection. You've got Samantha Smith, Samantha White, who were both on this team last year, and Kendall Halpern, who was on this team on the second team. So that's four really good players, right? Like topped by your best, you know, midfielder in the country, you know, in the country, quite possibly in Aaron Koikendall, right? She's certainly in the conversation. She's probably the best in the Big Ten, right? And then four other players who were not available last year. Uh, you have Radigan um, coming in, like Scuzz said, like four games in, just like unbelievable. Molly Liberty, right, who transferred in. It's funny, she joked in one of the videos that they put up that like they always say, Molly Liberty, she played D3. And it's like, well, yeah, you did. I mean, she was like the best goalkeeper in all of D3. And then came to, uh, and now is like the best goalkeeper in the Big Ten, basically, right? And then Madison Taylor, who's this unbelievable freshman coming in. And then, of course, the best player in the country who was not available last year, Izzy Skane. It's so much talent. It's so many. There, it's, it's just this wealth of riches that is almost unbelievable. And um, right, they're... They're rolling, and but it, it's a weird position because it, it's a situation where you juxtapose softball is so, 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 so good. And then lacrosse is like dominating everyone. They're the number one team for a reason. And, and right, they're going to see some of these big teams again, and it'll start almost certainly um, very soon in the Big Ten tournament. I, I want to hit on one thing you said, John, which like you, you called Izzy Skiing the best player in the country. She absolutely is. She should win the Torton award. Um, it would be a, 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 a real, a real disappointment and travesty if she didn't, frankly, but like if you're box score scrolling and you're just looking at the Maryland box score, you didn't watch the game. You're like, gosh, Skane only scored one goal. What's going on? Well, it's because every time she got the ball, three Maryland defenders like raced over to her to bracket her. Um, and that's what, like, we talked about this, you know, two years ago with Lauren Gilbert and, and, uh, Dylan Amonti and just like, the the other talent on this team is often put in position to do what they're doing because Skane is so good and commands such attention from the defense, and it's just it's worth it's worth highlighting that. Um, I don't know what kind of points she's going to be able to put up in in postseason play, but if you're watching, you will see, you will see a level of attention paid to her by opposing defenses that is rare. And there's a reason for that, and it's a damn good reason. <laughs> and and because of that, you'll probably see Haley Radigan score a lot of goals. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I mean, we've got it's it's Michigan, and we should say that again, not cart before the horse. Northwestern played very well last time they played Michigan, um, and won I think sixteen to eight. On the other side of the bracket, Maryland kind of has the table set for them because Rutgers upset Johns Hopkins. And prior to that, Rutgers had only won one game in the Big Ten, and they won 15-14. So the deck is very much cleared. Maryland is playing a much lower seed in the semis than they would have expected to be playing. Um, and if they beat that and, and Northwestern gets by Michigan, it'll be a rematch of those two teams in the final. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. 
Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! So, if you listened to us uh, talking last week on the uh, first round NFL draft pod with the uh, Winning Cures Everything guys, we went very deeply into uh, how amazing it was Peter Skaronsky taking number 11 overall, uh, the highest uh, Northwestern draft pick since 1983 when Chris Hinton was taken number four by the Broncos. Uh, Skaronsky taken by the Tennessee Titans. Uh, so he's just going down the road a little bit. Um, we were puzzled. Why was Adetamo Adabare not uh, taken in the first round? He wasn't taken in the second round. He wasn't taken in the third round. We went through all of day two getting, you know, puzzled, wondering what, what was going on. Day three comes around, fourth round pick, Indianapolis Colts uh, take Adabare. And then in the fifth round, uh, Cam Mitchell going to Cleveland to reunite with Greg Newsom uh, for an all wildcat backfield. And then Evan Hull also in the fifth round to the aforementioned Indianapolis Colts. Uh, four Wildcats drafted, uh, which off of a 1-11 team is incredible. It, it it's was. Aw- it, it, it's awesome for these guys. Um, I specific like I feel like we should we should talk about each one of them one by one. I like I want to start yes. with Adabare because um, as you mentioned, Sam, like he fell. Uh, there was a lot of conversation um, amongst us, amongst other people, as to why that was happening, what was going on. I want to call out couple things first of all pick a publication any one of them pro football focus the ringer the athletic espn everyone is calling out what a steal that pick was for the colts in the fourth round and like like you know i I think pro football focus had their like you know, best, best value pick or best picks of each round on day three or something like that. And, and Adabari was their pick for, for round four, unsurprisingly. And I, I want to call that, call that out because there was a robust discussion trying to figure out what was going on with Adabari. My hypothesis in the moment, as is often true when you see a player fall like this, and, and, and it was very much from a, I mean, again, name a publication, pretty much everyone had him going toward the end of the first round or top of the second. Um, Often when that happens to a player, there is a, a unknown or an undisclosed medical issue that's, that's come up, you know, so like all these players go through their medical evaluations with teams. Um, if they don't pass that medical evaluation, or if they do pass for that matter, that's, that's, that, that, that information is protected by HIPAA. You can't, you can't leak that to the press or, or whatever, right? Like, um, it's not something that can come out before the draft and, now, this was not the case with Adabare, as far as we can tell. Um, uh, uh, Dane, um, Dane Brueger, who's the draft analyst, primary draft analyst for The Athletic, uh, talked about that what he was hearing was that um, Adabare passed his medicals. This was after he got drafted by the Colts, um, that he passed his medicals and that teams were really you know, relying more on, on the tape than the measurables, which, which is fine. I want to call out though that like that Keely Ringo, Georgia's cornerback, who had a almost identically sized drop to Adabare, it's because of an undisclosed knee knee injury that didn't come out until after he was drafted. So, I, a, I wanted to call out call that out. B, um, 
you know, pre- pretty again, pretty much everyone is calling out how good of a pick this is for Indianapolis. And, you know, one of the interesting things that happens, you know, guys, these teams only have a few minutes to draft. If, the, if, if, if a player that thought, they thought was going to be gone by the time they get into round two is still out, is still out there. There's, there's inertia in the room to, to make a shift and actually pick them. So um, I just like, there's so many factors that come into play. Like I, I think the, the Eagles were a team that were, that were connected to Adebayo quite a lot. And the, the players the Eagles just decided to take all Bulldogs, well, not just all Bulldogs, but the players that became available to them at the, at the times that they were drafting were guys that everyone expected to have been drafted half a round or a round before. And so it, it's just like, it, it is what what I don't want people to do is to say like, oh, Adabar is not that good, and yeah, of course this was he was going to fall this way because he he wasn't that productive in college. Like nonsense. There's plenty other guys who were not that productive no. in college that got picked ahead of him. So it's what's funny to me is is you're right, and I think when when they were coming out because then ever because like you're saying we were all thinking at the moment is it a medical right and like like it ended up being with Ringo. And then the smoke that was kind of coming out is people were saying, well, like, you know, the numbers and the tape tell, you know, might tell a different story than the thing. And it's like, well, someone should have called us because we can walk you right through like that tape. You mean like a guy who's a lot of times going one on two, one on three and is being shuffled inside, outside at any given time because the need is so desperate to platoon him everywhere? Like, it's funny. It's almost funny to juxtapose him with Skoronsky because an offensive lineman, regardless of the overall quality of everything else, is going to be evaluated for those one-on-one matchups. But in his case, I mean, again, if a guy's being doubled, it's almost like like Jack Campbell, a very good football player who we were very high on for several years. If you've listened to like the summer Big Ten previews, right? He went in the first round and Jack Campbell's a really good football player. But Jack Campbell also benefits from the gigantic amount of mutual self-reinforcement that happens with every piece of that Iowa defense, right? Everything works. You got a ton of NFL guys at all three levels and everything self, you know, everything reinforces and it makes everyone's job easier and everyone's numbers go up. And it's like as good as all those Georgia guys are that Philadelphia scooped up, right? So many of them benefit from playing next to each other. And on that front line of that Northwestern defense, right? I mean, it's like Tommy was on an island and I think there was this knee jerk reaction, I think, amongst a lot of these teams to be like, well, if like the measurables are so good, why aren't we seeing the production? And it's like, I mean, do you See, need I, us to explain it? A lot to of other reasons. I just, a lot of other. Reasons. I just don't think it's that simple. There's so many variables. So certainly that's one variable. Another one is like he didn't, you know, like you you said this going in, and even the night of, right? Like he he's a prototypical like three four defensive end, not an not an edge rusher, right? In in that outside linebacker spot, a three four de- defensive end because he's bigger. He's built you know, phys- like weight-wise closer to, um, well, wh- I guess weight of a DE, height of a DT. I don't know. Like, like that, that, that's, you know, his, his body type isn't, isn't a picture-perfect fit either. And so, like, part of the problem is, like, team by team, right? There are teams that are super swayed by the measurables and super swayed by height, weight, arm length, um, hand size, you know, g- goofy stuff like that. Like, would never draft Skaronsky because his arms aren't long enough, which I think is preposterous. Ridiculous. 
Um, there's other teams that are just all focused on traits. What's, what's his first step speed? How many swim moves does he have? Like, and then there are other, there are other teams that want to see that, you know, that in-game production. There's other teams like it, like it's just so just, hard to diagnose. I, I, I agree. I just feel like it, I mean, it really would be as simple as like, if you put him on Iowa this past season and he's working with Lucas Van Ness on the same defensive line, his numbers would have gone way up. Like, I mean, it just would have been like the stats would have been there to go with everything else. And again, like I agree, I think because right, he is like six two, like 280. And a lot of people are right looking for like a certain prototype height, length and everything. But I think there wouldn't have been that. Dis- and you're right. Like we don't like we don't know at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, the Colts probably got a really big steal. Um, and I think that's what yeah. we all think. Yeah. We like we all who've all watched buckets of Northwestern tape. We know what's there. And honestly, right, you put him on an NFL defensive line with other guys. Put him on that turf inside that stadium, um, and I think he's really going to be able to leverage it. In yeah, an interesting, I, I, just going go into ahead. the fourth round, I just like it was. It was very clear. Like he fell. It is what it is. Right. Like dude was going to get picked. He's going to get. He's going to get his shot. And uh, he's going to get a chance to make good as as, as a professional football and, player, and, and he's he's and in just, a great spot where the defense is going to like set him up for success. And to circle back to what you said, right? It's not a medical, right? So it's like mm-hmm. good. Like we were really worried about it at the moment. Now I'm just like, no, everyone was just wrong. So like now, <laughs> like he's, he's going to yeah. get a chance to like really show out. It's funny in an interest of a, and and go ahead. Well, and and we we actually there's there's a track record of Indianapolis taking. Uh, Northwestern defensive players. Um, you know, think about Anthony Walker, who who did dropped just a little fine. bit lower than yeah. We dropped a little lower than we thought. He's had he had a great career with Indy. Now up in Cleveland, doing great great things. I, I ironically, a guy whose tape was incredible, but his speed on testing day was was you know like he didn't he didn't have prototypical NFL speed, and so he didn't get he didn't get picked as high as as many picked him to. So it's just like a poster child for like. It, you just you just never know. Like there's so many in, different rationales. In an interest of of a soft pivot to something that you mentioned earlier, you talked about the way that the draft is fluid, right? And the way that a lot of these yep. things change and teams have their individual draft boards and everything. Well, I want to I want to go to Will Levis, who fell a lot farther than everyone thought he was going to fall, right? He fell into the second round and was in that green room the entire time. But after he was drafted, they went back and they were like, well, did he have a chance of going in the first round? And the Titans said, yeah, we were really interested in him. Yep. And then we were like, oh, my God, Peter Skaronsky's still available. Yep. <laughs> and they grabbed Skaronsky immediately. So it's mm-hmm. like they were – the Titans were like, yeah, I mean, we would have been interested, but we didn't know Peter Skaronsky was going to fall into our laps. So, yeah, the, what, the Titans what, had their priorities. Same thing happened with the well, Eagles, and, and then they and, came back and got him. Yeah, they right. yeah the Titans picked him in the second round, which is why they're saying, right. "Oh, we we would have picked picked him if if he was there in the first. But same thing happened with the Eagles and uh, and Jalen Carter. Nobody expected the Eagles to draft, you know, uh, arguably the the best defensive player in the draft, and they got him at what like number nine, twelve. I forget where it was, but um. That was also a stunning, you know, uh, situation that probably changed their calculus on a player like Adabari that they clearly told scouts they liked. Right. 
And then, uh, so, I mean, it was, that was awesome. I mean, again, he, he's, and, uh, right. So, I mean, Levis is, Skaronsky's going to be blocking for Levis now, which is pretty interesting. Um, and then all of a sudden the Colts, like we all have a big rooting interest in the Colts now because then they went and got Evan Hall. Um, <laughs> so this, I is my say, other, this is my other favorite yeah. thing. Cause, cause not only is everyone called out the Adabari pick is like a great pick. The Colts draft is is viewed as one of the best drafts. Right. Now, obviously, you can't really evaluate this stuff for another three or four years, but um, right. people are like, a they you know I think you can debate whether or not you feel good about Anthony Richardson uh, in the first round. The Colts side like, hey, we like this guy, we're going to go for it. It's it's a need. We're going to see how see how it plays out. But the way they evaluated and grabbed value in especially on day three and again multiple outlets citing evan hall as a as a spectacular play that the thought is that he's going to fill the nate hines role uh third down blocking back who can who can catch the ball that um the colts um operated the last the last couple years so like there's there's a legit role for him on this team yeah he's not going to be the starting running back um and be getting number one reps on first and second down, but there's an absolutely a role for Evan with this team. And it's so exciting to see him, him land there. It's funny too, that the Colts, I think the Colts were paying attention during senior bowl week. Yeah. I'll I'll just put it that way. (laughs) Uh, Great point. The the Colts know who dominated practice all week and they know who dominated the game. It's funny with Hull too, because you know, you'd been seeing like a lot of people like fifth round, sixth round, seventh round grade for him. And I think our feeling always, even before the Senior Bowl, was, I don't know, like if you juxtapose him with Justin Jackson, right? Justin Jackson was always someone who like, you're selling him being an unbelievable, instinctive football player against the fact that he doesn't have prototype size and he doesn't have prototype speed, right? And it's like, just put the football in his hands and you'll see. Hall's an incredible, instinctive football player too, but Hall has elite speed, elite speed and an elite ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. And I think to your point, that was something where I was like, I'm pretty sure once you get to the back half of this draft, teams are going to be looking around being like, that guy's really fast and has really useful skills. And I'm like, you put that guy in the Luke, like Evan, I think is is in a great situation for him. And yeah, hopefully we're going to, maybe we can all get a chance to go down there and, uh, and see him at some point. I have a lot of positive okay. memories of Lucas Oil Stadium, even though we didn't win in 2018. Still a lot <laughs> of positive memories. So, um, but yeah, and then and then Cam, it's uh, Cam Mitchell, yeah. Just, oh, Cam, Cam and Greg reunited. Oh man, oh that's awesome. And just Love that it. photo of them in the in the black gothics that was going around right after that. I was like, oh, this is so sweet. Like, just let it happen. Let these two guys be out there at the same time. It just so cool um yeah just awesome and those are both i mean correct me if i'm wrong but those are both illinois guys chicago area guys um who've known each other for a long time and now they're you know now they're joined up in uh, in cleveland so it's awesome um also you know some no undrafted free agents signed but there were three invitations to uh Rookie camps, you got Andrew Clare and uh, Donnie Navarro uh, getting invited to the Bears camp, and then uh, Tyshawn Holmes getting invited to the Commanders camp. Um, so you know, 
we'll, we'll see what happens with, with those three guys. Um, you know, maybe, maybe not the best uh, results usually from those, but you know, you get out there, you get in front of, you get in front of coaches, you get tape put down and now there's multiple opportunities for spring ball. You know, you got the XFL and the USFL, uh, so, you know, two competing leagues, you know, with more opportunities to play. So, uh, great opportunity, even if they don't get picked up uh, by the, the Bears or the Commanders, there's still plenty of opportunity for them, and they're you know get a chance to play at the next level as well. So, good, good stuff. All in all, a pretty good uh, draft night for North, or draft weekend for Northwestern. Um, you know, I, like I know we're all still scratching our heads at at the showing in the NFL despite the record on paper, but, um, you know, quarterback, defensive coordinator, um, injuries, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can, you can, you can point to that, that it's not just about the NFL level talent that you have on the team. So. Well, net, net, it's a good thing that Northwestern continues to develop NFL level talent. And, yes, and with an eye, um, t- and with an eye towards the team, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Uh, yeah, so the the tran- the transfer portal has closed as far as team uh, players going into the portal. Um, so at, at this point, you know, no one else is going into the portal from anywhere, but there's a lot of people in the portal looking for places to land, and uh, we we had three guys uh, who over the last a day or two have come are coming to Northwestern a um, couple guys on defense, but I think the, uh, the big one that I think we want to lead off with is Cincinnati quarterback, Ben Bryant uh, coming to Northwestern. He's a local guy. He's, you know, from the, from LaGrange. Uh, so he's you know, coming home. He's had a really interesting journey uh, through his time at Cincinnati and Eastern Michigan. Um, but this is a, this is a real fun pickup. It's, I mean, two Big Ten championships, four NFL draft picks, and there are a lot of people listening to the pod who've just been waiting for us to get to Ben Bryant. Um, <laughs> it's it's a really big deal. It is. I mean, 37 career touchdowns, 17 career interceptions, 65% completion. If it all smells a little Peyton Ramsey-ish, you're not wrong. Um, he's got a lot of experience. Um, and... I mean, Scuzz, I know like you're a Cincinnati, you know, you're in Cincinnati, like he was a Cincinnati guy. I mean, the the thing that's fascinating to me is that he kind of was in a position, I think, where basically it was going to be his job or it was going to be Desmond Ritter's job entering Desmond Ritter's junior year. And I think Desmond Ritter got that job. And he was, yeah, well, he he was the third, he was the third banana because there was also, um, I'm blanking on his name right now. I can see I can see his face and what his name's Evan. He played at, at uh, Wyoming High School, and um, and he was kind of like the like the the big expected player. Um, uh, I I believe started 2022. I believe the two of them were battling in 2022 for the starting role, and Bryant came out on top before getting injured. So a um, little bit in and out of the lineup, et cetera. But like, yeah, I think it makes total sense that he left. After 2020, went to Eastern Michigan, got to play there, was really good. He was close to I mean, 68% it, complete there. It uh, worked 3, out perfect yards. for Cincinnati. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. Um, that's the year Cincinnati, of course, goes to the college football playoff. Desmond Ritter graduates, goes to the NFL. Bryant comes back to Cincinnati. Um, they did not have as good of a year last year, but, um, you know, they lost a ton of talent. They lost almost like an entire starting defense to the NFL. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, he was, he was still really decent last year. I think like to do some points we made in our, in our podcast a couple weeks ago, focused on transfers. Bryant's a grad transfer. Um, and that he's got his degree. He's coming in as a grad transfer. I think, you know, we don't know for sure, but we continue to believe there's a, there's a different, a different, um, level of difficulty, uh, getting into Northwestern as a, as a, as a true transfer, um, through the portal versus, uh, through the graduate programs. So, um, this continues to kind of, you know, support that, that narrative and hypothesis, but, um, but this is a, this is a great opportunity for Northwestern. Now you have two, two guys with good experience in the room. I think, you know, all bets are that, that Bryant, you know, given his, his experience and his pedigree is, is probably the odds on starter, but I, you know, I would not count Brendan Sullivan out and I, we will certainly see both of them, uh, plenty next year. Oh, for sure. That was, and, and that's kind of the larger thing too. And again, we were going back and forth with people on Twitter for this, but I mean, I think even before, Brian officially made it official and certainly after he made it official because there are two pieces to this and the bottom line is it's all positive it's all good stuff the obvious thing is is that Peyton Ramsey comparison right this is a guy with 37 career touchdowns right who was good for Cincinnati and good for Eastern Michigan and he's worth like worth worth noting for Cincinnati he was pretty consistent too it wasn't like he, he had he put up massive numbers against crappy teams I mean, granted, the AAC isn't, you know, you don't have a, a wide disparity of, a, of team, but he's a pretty consistent player in, the, in, in that in that for that team, which is worth noting. Right. And his numbers were good for Eastern Michigan, who's been better lately, but is one of the most historically downtrodden teams in, in like certainly in the Mac. Um, they've been better lately, but you're not talking about an amazing overall team. And he was very solid for them also, I think, for a team that I want to say went seven and six, I think. Um, so there's that piece of it. And it's like, odds are, this is the guy. You're just, you're not staring 37 career touchdowns in the face, 65% completion over a ton of passes. You're not going to stare that in the face. Like, I think we would all have the reasonable expectation that at the end of the day, after a spirited competition, he probably will win the job. But there's a second piece too. And that piece starts with the fact that Brendan Sullivan was really good last year. He just was. You can try to spin it in any number of negative ways, but you're talking about a freshman who was thrown into the fire. Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio State, Maryland on the road, Minnesota on the road, not an easy game to be had in there and completed 74% of his passes. Yeah, he was throwing short, but a somewhat related note, we changed wide receivers coaches at the end of the season. Okay. This guy for a broken football team did as well as possibly could have been expected in the circumstances. He's the future. Like he's got three more years at Northwestern. He's got a ton of positive football. And to your point, potentially a ton of positive football next year, but certainly down the road beyond that. But the larger piece of this and, and why it's so good overall, Northwestern's got three quarterbacks on the roster right now who all had season ending injuries last year. 
Ryan Holinsky, Brennan Sullivan, and Ben Bryant. And having two quarterbacks who we feel really comfortable about, right? Given that both of them are coming back off of injuries, it's just a feeling of security. Like which whichever one of those guys wins the starting job, we feel good about that guy. And if the other guy comes in, we feel good. And if someone gets banged up and someone else has to come in, we feel good about that situation. And I think there are, there are definitely some people that, you know, poo-pooing that. And certainly there's the Bajakian piece of that. And look, we get it, right? But I'm just, I think we're in that position right now where there, there are a bunch of problems that, that are very serious that need to be addressed about this team coming into this season. And it just doesn't feel like quarterback's one of those things right now. It feels like we're pretty good there. We've shored it up. And I think so. That that's kind of like the big thing. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just good which news. By, which, by the way, that shoring up the quarterback through the transfer portal is the thing everybody's been screaming about for six months. And the thing yeah. that, you know, a month and a half ago, when we had one player transferring into Northwestern, um, like a lot of people, including ourselves, were were concerned. We we're like, gosh, what's going on here? Um, I think you know. Since then, we've had a great conversation with Jacob Schmidt understand a lot more about what Northwestern is doing on the NIL front or what the, what the not Northwestern, but what true and you and, and the opportunities that are, that are going to be there for athletes. Um, we've learned a bit more about, we've thought a bit more about, about transfers themselves and how that is both a boon and a, and a, and a concern for Northwestern in, in a number of ways. But now we've seen, Multiple guys, and we haven't even talked about you know we've a couple couple defensive players coming through the through the portal. In addition to uh, to Bryant, um, we know there are other relatively big names um, in the mix right now that that Northwestern is is having serious conversations with. So, th- like this was a situation that you know everybody was kind of looking at the football roster and. and yeah, we've got a new defensive coordinator, but how is it, how is this team going to be any different than this next year? I still think it's probably a bit of a rebuilding year, and and a and you know, a year where we're going to be fighting for for wins and bowl eligibility as opposed to challenging for something greater. But, um, I mean, I, again, a month and a half ago, people were freaking out, and we've the the, the team and the program are addressing some of the concerns and issues head on, and that's great to see. Uh, you made mention of the two defensive players coming in. Uh, Richie Haggerty uh, is an outside linebacker defensive end uh, hybrid uh, coming to us from Southern Illinois. We actually saw him last year uh, in that game against uh, Northwestern. Um, you know, he had set, uh, four and a half sacks, uh, seven and a half tackles for loss, uh, 38 total tackles, led SIU with eight quarterback hits last year. Uh, so, you know, some more help on the defensive line pass rush. And then also, uh, Fresno state defensive tackle, Matthew Lawson, uh, is also coming to Evanston. Um, as a grad transfer, he's, uh, six foot two eighty three, uh, five years at Fresno, um, 18 total tackles, uh, two TFLs, uh, mainly as a, as a backup, but, um, you know, as thin as our D line is, there's definitely an, an opportunity for him to get some uh, well in the case stacks. of Lawson it's interesting we've talked about this this goes back to discussions we've had in recent pods right I mean 
Lawson's the stats are are like this is a reserve player, right? It's a, he's a reserve kind of level player in the Mountain West, but he is 208 pounds. He is an academic all conference player. So there to the to the point of a lot of the discussions that we've had, right? This is a player who has the ability to transfer. He's a good student, right? So there's that academic piece of it there, and it's a great position of need. And it's like we pulled in Matt Lawson and we need to keep pulling in as many guys like this as we can right now because we need to get guys at this position. We've got to be covered against injuries. We need more depth here. Um, so it's good. I'm glad we have Lawson. It's great. Um, it kind of is similar in my mind to kind of Ryan Williams coming in from Stanford last year. Um, and it's it again, it's like that's good. We need more guys. Hopefully we'll see some some more. Haggerty is is fascinating. I mean, we use the word fascinating on Twitter. Um, he was he's interesting because I mean he's I guess he's an end. Um, he's two hundred and sixty pounds, but he's two hundred and sixty. Bulked up from two twenty five in high school. He came out of high school as a linebacker, and he had several offers. I think he had BC, Cincinnati, and I want to say Indiana um, as a linebacker coming out of high school. He ultimately went to Miami of Ohio. And then basically didn't play for two years. The first year because he redshirted. The second year because Miami of Ohio only played three games during the COVID year. And then he went to SIU. So effectively, he didn't start his college career until he went to SIU. And I think he's had 15 TFLs in two years and then was first team all-conference last season. First team all-Missouri Valley, which is nothing to shake a stick at. That's North Dakota State. That's South Dakota State. Like that's big time FCS football where he was first team all conference. And you can look at the stats and see that through the middle of their season last year, he just got white hot. And I think for like four or five games in a row, put up like two sacks a game, one and a half sacks, two sacks a game. Um, Almost all of his TFLs are sacks. And I think you can look at and be like, this is a guy with great motor who gets after it. And I think you could look and say, look, for some of the the weaker teams on our schedule, some of the games that we very much would be circling as a win in third down situations, this guy's got a shot to get a sack and potentially a sack that's going to make a really big play in a game that Northwestern very much is looking to circle, you know, that that just might get Northwestern one of these big wins that we all have our eyes on. So super interesting. Like, and again, he's been nothing but ascendant like his entire career. He was going to play power five football. That's another thing going back to the draft conversation. One of the other things of the draft was, I think, you had to go all the way to, I want to say, the third round for a non-Power 5 player to get drafted. Um, and there were almost none. Like, until later in the draft, there were almost none. Not you know not only smaller conference, but smaller conference efforts, yes. They were all Power 5 guys, basically, through the first three rounds. And one of the themes of that is because, with the new transfer rules... Guys who are really good, who are identified as being really good earlier in their careers at the FCS level and at the smaller conference FBS level, they transfer into the Power Five. They go and play big-time football, and then they get drafted. So Richie Haggerty was going to play Power Five football for his final two years. He was going to play somewhere, so we're fortunate that we got him. And is I'm, I'm, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but all three of these guys are grad transfers, correct? Is Haggerty? Maybe he is. Is Haggerty? That that that's the question. Is because if Haggerty, he was at Miami possible. of Ohio for two years and then UIC for another two, or yeah, it's, it's crazy. This COVID thing is fine. I'm finally 
moving past it just because you're right. It's crazy to do the math, but you're right. Four, he's done four years of college. According to Inside NU, they're they're both grad transfers. Yeah. Okay. So that's like again, like, I, like nobody's told us this, but folks, you can do the math. It's hard as hell to transfer to Northwestern as a as like a a as an undergraduate student, and for you know as many years as 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 we've seen transfers coming in now, the vast majority are grad transfers. Right. right. And <clears throat> so if if you'll permit me, only because there's there's some smoke. All right. <laughs> yeah. T- tinfoil hats here, boys. Oh boy. Oh boy. Buckle up, y'all. Yeah, putting on our tinfoil hats here. Um if I think if you're looking for that whole reason of of it, like to Scuzz's point, it is very difficult to transfer into Northwestern as an undergraduate student. And one thing that would really be useful is if Northwestern had recruited you very, very heavily um, coming out of yep. coming out of high school. <laughs> <laughs> and that is certainly the case with one A.J. Henning, who is in the portal. And it's funny, I mean, as big as the college football world is, you can look and you can see... Um, from like a Chicago land perspective, right? That it, in some ways you have a lot of this is becoming very small and there's that theme of kind of returning home, right? I mean, you've got down in the south, in the west suburbs, you've got LaGrange. Um, you've got LaGrange Park. The main high school down there is Lyons Township High School. That's where Matt Harris went to to college. I mean, to high school. Um, that's where Ben Bryant went to high school. That's where Eddie Turk um, monster four-star defensive line recruit who's playing football right now was playing his high school football, right? So, I mean, it's all like this theme of like these these areas. And then Lincoln Way East, right? Where I believe, I want to say Devin O'Rourke, I believe, came out of Lincoln Way East. Um, and A.J. Henning also. And these are big-time recruits from the Chicagoland area. And Henning potentially maybe looking to come home as well. But what was wild is as soon as Bryant announced his transfer decision, um, Bryant and Cam Mitchell immediately started on Twitter, like recruiting AJ Henning um, and trying to lure him in. And then Henning responded positively to the tweets. And again, who knows what that's all worth, but it's, it's the idea of a guy who, again, was maybe looking for a larger role but still playing big time football and coming much closer to home. I mean, it checks a lot of boxes. And Northwestern, AJ Hen, yeah, and, and John, j- just AJ Henning. Where, where? Tell us a little bit about like where did I he mean, come from? Like where was he playing he, now? He for- was coming from Michigan, and he was like, I think Michigan had him in a return role kind of capacity because he can fly. He's so fast. That's why he was a big time four star recruit um, coming out of Lincoln Way East. He was one of Northwestern's top targets. We talked about A.J. Henning so much when he was in high school. He was a big-time target. And then I think not unlike J.J. McCarthy, not unlike some other guys, not unlike Khalil Mullins, not unlike Zach Zinter, we slowly got the feeling that he was in Michigan's orbit, and that's where it was coming. But he's what's, what's very interesting to me about Henning, and again, this is all speculation, but we've got a lot of reason to feel really good. The... Big time comp that I would say for him is there's another player who was a transfer 
who Northwestern recruited big time out of high school and then went to a different school and then transferred into Northwestern, and that's Miles Schuler. Miles Schuler and AJ Henning are so similar. Burners, little guys who are so fast, who are exponentially valuable in the return game and in any way you can platoon them on the field. They stretch the field, they go over the top, they fly on reverses. AJ Henning is that kind of guy. He's the same kind of guy Schuler was, and it's like elite speed. It's the same reason both those guys were four-star recruits coming out of high school. So again, fingers crossed, big time. We would love to see, um, again, like in a, with elite speed, you can take the top off the defense. And Ben Bryan and Cam Mitchell are certainly doing their part to try to make that happen. So, so why not? Um, a couple other little bit, little uh, news and note tidbits. Um, Chris Collins, three-year extension. Uh, that's signed and sealed. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it's a and no-brainer after that. After that, honestly, season. like, yeah. Well, and it's part part of it. It's like you you have like you cannot have a coach go into his into the final year of his contract because it just becomes it it just becomes the easiest recruiting fodder for any oppo- like any any opposition. So like. This is, I, I know there are people that are like, oh, it shouldn't have been that long, or it's only one year, or what, like, the, g- g- folks, this is just how it works. This is, this is just Hon- how honestly, it works. Honestly, I think probably the the single largest thing that I think we've seen from a lot of different parties is like, three years is about right. Like, that's like, no, like, yeah. he deserved an extension, but no one wanted to see us tacking five years onto his deal. Like, I mean, again, it's like... If he can get Northwestern back to the dance another year and, you know, like really build, string together some positive momentum, then absolutely. Like, you know, let's get this thing turned in the right direction for good. But for now, I think, yeah, we all felt that three years was pretty reasonable. So, yeah, it's good. And you're right. It it keeps it. Northwestern certainly going into this season is not in the position they were going to last season, feeling like that, that we were kneecapped from a recruiting perspective, that we were going to be kneecapped from a transfer perspective. Um, you have a little bit of that stability there. So for right now, yeah, that feels pretty good. Uh, what one last question I have for you, Scuzz? No, I know. Will what this there is be another be. Trevor Simeon jersey joining the Westlaw Pirates uh, jersey shelf? The, how, oh how, how do the Cincinnati Bengals have the two best quarterbacks in the NFL? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if he if he if he if he can win the backup job, if he's official on the team. Love yeah, it. We're gonna make that happen. Yeah, Trevor Simeon yeah, you, signed with the Bengals today. So, yeah, it was great. I mean, it's so funny. Like, I I'm not saying we would have ever led with this, but I feel like there are plenty of pods where Trevor Simeon signing with Scuzz's the team where Scuzz lived would have made it way higher up in the pod than this than this particular episode. But the 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 only reason that I'm not like more like jacked up about this is because there was a moment last week like leading into draft weekend where there was a credible mock that had Adabari going to Cincinnati and I was like oh my god it would be instant jersey purchase and um this doesn't quite aspire to that same level but that's that's nothing on that's nothing on Trevor that's just like I don't know it's just it, it just is what it is so I mean um, and take take it from me when uh, you buy a, a backups jersey before they've made the team sometimes they change their number <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play it out, see how things Stick go, in and in pay it. attention in fall camp. I'm, I'm fully yeah. expecting Trevor to walk into to that locker room, that walk into that coach's office, and be like, 
hear me out. In college, I rotated with the other guy, and we played. (laughs) 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 Why? I don't even think he needs to do that. I think he just needs to like go pop on that ring. Yeah, that's that's right. That ring from Denver, and be like, "Yo, rings in the room, baby. Rings in the room. Rings in the room. That's right." Uh, Anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight, guys? Just, you know, fire up for uh, Lax Thursday, Saturday, hopefully hopefully Thursday and Saturday. Um, final uh, final softball weekend of the regular season. One more win. Gets them that, that uh, conference championship outright. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty exciting time. The, the, um, I, don't, I don't have dates. I don't, I don't know if, if they're – like, I, I believe golf and CWAs are, are going to be starting soon too, and both men and women are going to be, are going to be in there. Um, they both performed well at the Big Ten Championship. So um, exciting, exciting times as, as spring comes to a close. Yeah. I, the one other thing I would tack on is, like, from a football perspective, look, we've been having some discussions on Twitter and everything. Look, we've had a rough stretch, and everyone's beaten down, and, you know – a lot of people have had some, you know, we've all gone to some dark places and, and there's been some negativity, but this week we got some unequivocal wins, right? Unequivocal wins, things that make the situation better than it was before that we can feel good about. Just feel good about it. Just feel good about this good news that we got this week. And maybe we'll get a little bit more, um, but these are positive developments that should make you feel better about this coming season than you felt before they happened and that's that's it it's a good thing we should all feel good about it uh, so with that we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight uh, head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on facebook twitter and instagram at westlawpirates and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on northwestern athletics look for us in the west side of ryan field playing the red pirate flag because we give no quarter especially the fourth for john lacombe and eric scasby i'm sam walter thanks so much for listening we'll see you next time Thank you.